Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Okay, let's jump in to today, our first message on Advent and um, first message uh, on, and, and there's a lot of things you can do with this. You, you see this a lot during this season, uh, words like hope, peace, joy, and love. Um, in different orders, a lot of times, and we've done this, a lot of churches, those four words become key words on Advent Sundays during Advent season. They will hit on those words, hope, peace, joy, love, and sometimes it's specific orders, sometimes it's not. Um, And so you'll see a lot of that in the next four weeks, and it's not just because those are fun words or good words, it's because those actually tie into uh, what a lot of church history is spoken to when it comes to Advent. We are not necessarily going to do that because we're using the book as a bit of a guide. And today's word is not hope, it's not peace, it's not joy, and it's not love, it's vulnerability. The theme of today is not um, something that maybe you would expect. Again, we're trying to help you see Jesus like never before. We don't want you to see this the way you've always uh, seen it. And, and so the, the theme of today that we're preaching here and in Kansas City and in Atlanta is vulnerability. But before we jump into that, I want to hit on why Advent is so important. And Will kind of touched on this and just, and just how they do what they do. And I'm going to go home and redecorate again, uh, but I'm not going to move the tree. Um, uh, you know, we tell time with stories. Um, time without stories can be... Um, can be a bit of a, 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 a kind of an empty void. We, we can kind of forget where we are, what we're doing, and how we're doing. Uh, can become a bit nihilistic because we've lost the story to the time we're telling. In fact, a lot of the traditions the church have, uh, it, it, has, it, it becomes religious in the negative sense, although I don't think religious is a bad word. I think we've made it a bad word because we've forgotten what religion is. Uh, but, but I think we, it becomes religious in the stuffy way because we've lost the story. Most of the traditions we have as a church are meant to be reminders of a greater story. So when you take communion, when you celebrate Advent, when you come to Christmas, when you deal with Easter, when you talk about um, uh, Lent, when you talk about all, these are all meant to be reminders of something, of the story that we're all involved in. So without the story, time doesn't always make sense. You can tell that by just based on even the stories you've told recently, that one time, I did this. That one time, this happened. The stories are usually what make up our life. In fact, this week, I, I had laid down in bed, and I'd seen something either on TV or I'd read something that triggered a memory that I had forgotten about. And it brought back a whole, uh, a whole section of time that I had tended to, to, to forget or maybe hadn't thought of a lot. It's amazing when someone tells a story about a particular time, how that time comes back to life. And so without the stories, we tend to forget what time is about and what time is for. And we tend to waste our time when we've forgotten the story. When we've forgotten the story, we tend to waste our time. We, t- we, we, we tend to think that nothing matters and it's not important and this doesn't mean anything. And so the story matters. It's why Advent matters. And one of the best uh, uh, posts I've ever read on time, it's sacred versus secular, is written by a guy named Brian Zahn, a pastor. Uh, who's been on his own journey over the last 20 years, uh, for almost 2,000, he says this, for almost 2,000 years, the church has had the wisdom and creativity to mark time by the gospel story of Jesus. This is time made sacred. 
Thus, the church calendar. Advent anticipates the coming of Messiah. Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus. Epiphany remembers the revelation of Christ to Gentiles. Lent is the solemn journey to the cross. Easter is the celebration of the resurrection. Pentecost marks the birth of the church in ordinary time or kingdom time, leads us through the year and back to Advent. He says this, and I love this line, challenges you a little bit. How we tell time determines who we are. If you expect fireworks on the fourth day of the seventh month, you are an American. The calendar creates culture. Even this year, as we've talked through some of the racial issues that we've faced, what we're talking about, what we're adding to the calendar in some of these situations, we're adding things to what? To the calendar to remind us of things that people have done in the past that have not been recognized for, but by a small group of people. And so what we want to make sure we're doing is telling time in a way that commemorates and celebrates. Here's what he says. He says, we believe the Jesus story is the true story that saves the world. We believe this so deeply that it's how we tell time. And so Advent is a way for us. Of course, we're still going to celebrate other holidays. And of course, but if the only holidays you celebrate are American ones and not kingdom ones then maybe we're telling time according to the wrong calendar. And maybe we can begin to believe that every four years the end of the world is coming. Maybe every two years we've got to vote this way because we've got to get this way. Because if we don't, then... Maybe if we tell time the wrong way, we, believe, we begin to believe in the microscopic view of earth instead of this expansive view of heaven. And begin to lead people, love people, and serve people in a way that really truly brings a difference because it understands the journey, not just the moment. And if we aren't people, as, as Alison McGrath would say, we aren't just people standing on a balcony going, oh, go there, go there, go there. We're on the road, on the journey, having to dodge all the things other people have to dodge, move around other things, work, work through things, negotiate things, and doing this life together because that's what discipleship is. And Advent and Christmas... And all these other things are there for us to tell a story. They're there for us to remember that there is a bigger story that we are all a part of when we step into the story of Jesus. That we, we have a story that we are a part of in this, and that is what we should remind people of in this season. That's what this should be a reminder of, that it is not just about what we can buy at half price, of course for other people, but also for ourselves because it's half price. Um, we, we, it shouldn't just be about the things we have to buy and the things we have to decorate and the things we have to do. Uh, it's, it's about making sure that in all the things we do, in all the things we do, we are remembering why we are doing them. So even in decorating a Christmas tree, remembering the faithfulness of God. Even in coming together, I, I still remember uh, when I would, w Christmas Eve, when we would celebrate it with uh, my grandfather, uh, Grandma and Grandpa Cole on, on my dad's side. When they finally moved here, we would sit uh, in our old house. I, I still remember. I still remember that little set-apart little living room that we only used for special occasions. And I remember um, the kids were not allowed in that room. Don't go in there. Do not go in there. There's no walls, Mom. How do we not? I don't know how to stop myself. Um, and, uh, it was just, and, and I remember we would all sit in there, and my grandpa was adamant about this. We would always read the Christmas story, always. It was always a Christmas story. And I, it didn't matter how long it took. We were going to read the Christmas story. We were going to read what this was all about before we got to open our presents. 
And, and, and how many of us, I know we make the joke, but, but how many of us move past Thanksgiving to get to Christmas? And even so, how many of us will move past the, the waiting of Advent to get to the opening of presents on Christmas Day? This season should be a season where we wait on the Lord. You know, I would guess that your new year would start better if, you're, if the, the last year ended better. And if we end with an expectation and waiting on the Lord, how much more will you know what God wants you to do in the next? And so how we leave this year will make a major impact on how we enter the next one. And so it's important for us to remember the story. It's important for us to re- remember the narrative that you and I are a part of. And one of the chapters, and I, I love this, and I apologize if it's a little bit crude. I don't think it's really crude. Uh, just according to church standards, might be a little crude. Uh, I remember when, when uh, we had our uh, first child, Kaysen, who's back there. Kaysen, say what's up. No, you got to say it. They can't see you. Say what's up. No. That's exactly what I would do. Um, up until I turned 18, all of a sudden I wanted to have a mic. And uh, I don't know what that was about. And I, um, I remember when he was born, and, and the things that they don't tell you, that they're not in the 12-hour class you have to take. None of your friends or the, the, the mentors in your life tell you that it's not going to be all roses. They all, you know, it's all the pat on the back. And maybe this generation, you're more of realist. You're more like you, you remind every, everybody of like the not-so-good things. It's, it's great. Um, but, you know, like the, the, there may be a little bit of realism there, so maybe you will. But I remember the first few weeks, the first couple months of having a, a child. And I remember how much I hated it. I mean, I loved it. But I hated it, too. And, you know, like, you know, you people wonder how you can love and hate. It's clear when you have, don't make me look weird. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Jeez. All right. Thank you. And, and, the, and, the, and I remember the first time we decided to take Kaysen out and about. And we went to Palio's over on Grave Highway because our, our, some of the church stuff was still happening in that direction. And I remember taking Palio's. We were, I think we were going to church. We were going to some evening event. And we sat in the booth. Some of you all remember this way back in the day. We're sitting in the booth. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, it stinks. What is that? And, Mary, and we're like looking around, and we pick up Kaysen, and we're looking, we're like, you know, we're looking around. And I think, I don't remember how we noticed it, but I looked at, I looked at Kaysen, and Mary was holding him, and you could see brown, like, like the middle of his back, like here. Not, not, I don't want to point at my rear end right here, but like right, right here in the middle of his, in the middle of his back. Like a good half body's length away from where it should be. It was the first time we brought Kaysen out. And I remember we had one of those fold-out, uh, you know, you can change a diaper, which you don't use on the second child. Just pointless. Why do that? Just get rid of that. Lay him on the rug. It's all going to get dirty anyway. So, you, so I remember we went out to the back of the RAV, and we set him down, and we, well, hey, wait, hold on. Let me lay it. Okay, now put him down. And, uh, and did, did the whole thing. You know, wiping his rear end. I mean, it was like, it was the worst. It was the worst. But the things you do for people you love, but it's amazing to me, how vulnerable babies are. It's amazing to me how much they depend on other people. How much they depend on on a mother for 10 months to not only take care of herself, but to take care of this child that's growing in her. And how much that child fully and completely depends on her. And how it's not easy 
I found that out. It's not easy to do. It's a difficult task. It's hard. And I remember when, when he was born, how much he looked like a really old man. I had to wipe his rear end, and I had to take care of this, what looked like a really old man for the first few days. You, might, you know what I'm talking about. They look, and everything you had to do for this young little child, you know, just a few weeks ago, um, we lost uh, Mary's grandfather, Paw Paw. Old Pops, as Grayson calls him. And uh, the last several weeks and last couple months of his life, Bradley, myself, Meredith, Mallory, uh, Gigi, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, we were doing so many of the same things for him at 97 years old as we were for this three-day-old baby. I remember I got props for the best sleepover, but that's only because I had to do it one night. If it had been more than that. But I got it on video, video evidence. And that night, two or three times, hey, Brandon, had to help him go to the restroom, couldn't get out of bed. And it's amazing at that age how dependent he was on other people to take care of himself. Why do I bring all that up? In the book, Scott Erickson says it so beautifully. He says, one way or the other, whether it's the beginning or the end, you are going to be vulnerable. You will go from vulnerability to vulnerability. And for some reason, we spend our whole life trying to escape or push back on this idea that we are vulnerable, that we are people with weaknesses, that we are people with insufficiencies, and that we are people that can't figure it all out all the time. Uh, there's a verse that, um, that he wrote, uh, that, he, that, that not he didn't wrote, he referenced that I wanted to read to you, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born. You have heard this around Christmas every year. It is not just a Christmas verse. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And then I want, I want you to hear this, because he's not, he doesn't say for us a king is born. He doesn't say for us a strong man is born. He doesn't say for us a, a, a world champion wrestler is born, a, a, a great chef, uh, someone who can do all the dishes and make all the food and do all the laundry and work a full-time job. And do, it doesn't say any of those. doesn't say all the perfections that we all seek. It just simply says a child. For to us, a child. A child, one who is completely dependent on those around him to give him life. That's the picture the prophet used to speak of the Savior who was to come. For to us, a child is born. Now listen to what happens after this. Because don't, you don't think about child and mighty. I've played football with my sons. And no matter how strong, Kaysen has always been bigger than the other kids. At six months, we got called into the office because he was sitting on other children. He has always been bigger than other kids. Grayson has never been bigger than other kids, but he has a big brother, and so he acts like he's bigger than other kids. And I, I, no matter how big they are, how tough they think they are, I can always knock them over. Every once in a while, they get a good shot in on me. It happened before church today. Kaysen took a shot. I was playing with Maxwell, punches with Maxwell. Kaysen thought that was his chance to punch me, and it hurt. So I punched him back and made it hurt. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. If y'all weren't here, I would have. So, I, but I, I, I can still 
I can still win. And here's the picture of Jesus coming as a child. And the government would be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us, a child is born and he would be called Mighty. There is a purpose to the juxtaposition that the authors of the Bible put in the Bible. Remember, Jesus is for us both a picture of what heaven is like and the kingdom to come and a picture of those who should inhabit it and begin to live in it. And so Jesus gives us a pattern by which we should live our life. In fact, the illustration, it's not one of the 15 that you'll see at the, the gallery, but it is one that you'll find in the book is a picture of a child with his, with his diaper being changed and on the rag that is wiping his rear end, it says mighty. And some of us go, that, that's blasphemous. How dare you do that? But that is the form in which our Savior, our King, decided to show up on this earth and live. And we don't even see much about Him. But what we tend to do is forget the fact that there was a woman named Mary a teenage girl who didn't need the story of being pregnant before married to be on her resume. It was not helpful. It was not conducive to a healthy environment around family. It was not something that was going to give her points or props. It was not something for her to brag about. It was something where in her culture, it would have been so detrimental to her reputation. This young Middle Eastern woman being told by an angel who walks in actually doesn't walk in, probably floats in, maybe just appears, bright and shining as the sun. And she's afraid, and, she's, and he says to her, do not be afraid, for you will bring into the earth the king of kings. You will bear a child. You will. And on one hand, she's probably like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we're about to get married. That'll happen down the road. And Gabriel's like, no, 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 now. And his phrase to her is not, do not be afraid, because right now I look scary. Her phrase to her, do not be afraid, is a command for both the present and the future. That what you're about to walk through as a mother, and as one who would, hey, no pressure, carry the Savior of all the earth. On top of just being pregnant, without having been wed, Jesus is going to show up. Do not be afraid. The journey you're on, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. What I've given you to do is a bit over the top, but do not have fear. Where you're going is different than where anyone else on the face of the earth ever has gone or ever will go. Do not be afraid. Be vulnerable. Do not be afraid. This is how Jesus shows up. And a young woman who had every right to be afraid. And Gabriel saying, don't be afraid. Because the things that are in us, that God is birthing in us, fear will begin to shrink, will begin to morph, begin to shape differently the way God desires it to. She would have carried that child differently if she carried it with fear. There was a moment where she had to go and say, 
Joseph, no, this is, this is what's happening. And Joseph, like a typical man, didn't quite listen. So the angel had to appear to Joseph. Yo, I told her, she's the Holy Spirit for you. That was a joke. Y'all laughed. Y'all took it seriously. Some of y'all are like, that's right. You nudged your husband. But here's this child who's going to be called Mighty God. There was no, there was no, there was no guidebook to this. There was no, um, there was no hashtag you could search. There was no blog post with edited photos. There was no filters. There was no nothing. There was no way to know, how am I supposed to carry a child that, that was born through the Holy Spirit and, and, and is supposed to be the Savior of the world? The world He created, He's now going to transform, and I'm responsible to carry him, His life. I'm responsible. When you begin to add up the, the number of times uh, that people have a miscarriage, if you've never known someone who's had a miscarriage, you will at some point. And it's painful to watch, to hear about, to talk through. In fact, they often won't tell you because of how painful it is. If you, if you watch people go through difficulty at childbirth, I mean, when you begin to think about all the things that could have gone wrong or might go wrong or the pain that even Genesis talks about, that in childbirth you will experience pain, and yet God decided to show up in the pain and in the chance and in the worry and in the concern. Jesus showed up there and said, in your vulnerability, I will be present. And not only that, I will not conquer fear by never being afraid. I will not conquer pain by never seeing it or experiencing it. I will, never, I will not conquer temptation and sin by never walking through it. I will actually be in it so that I can defeat it. I will not defeat death just by living a good life. I will defeat death by dying so that I can once again live. So I did not defeat your weakness by never experiencing it. I experience it so that I can defeat it. And so that when I need to, I can be your sufficiency when you feel insufficient. This is the story of the Bible. This is what happens. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12. I don't think this, I gave this to the peeps in the back. Maybe I did, I don't know. 2 Corinthians 12 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I wonder how many times the power of God has been missed in our life. Not because we weren't strong enough, but because we weren't willing to be vulnerable enough with the one who would provide the strength we are so desperately wanting. That in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. I, I, I want you to think about how vulnerable you felt at different moments and times in your life. When something you thought was going to happen didn't happen, or something you didn't think was going to happen did happen, or that I never would have imagined, or I never thought, or all kinds of possibilities. And you felt vulnerable because you couldn't do anything about it at all. There was no argument to be made. There was no litigation to be had. There, there, there was nothing. You couldn't do anything. And in that moment, what do you do? I don't know about you. Sometimes what I do is I try to fight harder. Sometimes what I do is I try to come up with better plans. If only I had just come up with a better strategy. 
obviously I'm in this space because I deserve it. So if I just fix this or fix that or deal with this or deal with that, of course, you can grow in moments of adversity. Of course, you can grow stronger through difficulty. Of course, resistance causes us many times, if we approach it the right way, to grow. Absolutely. But it is only when we understand and are real about that vulnerability. It, is, it would be interesting for someone who wasn't able to bench 150 pounds to go, hey, let's put 175 on. And yet, for some reason in life, that is exactly what we do. We overcompensate for the weaknesses we have instead of being completely honest about them. And it's, we get most unhealthy emotionally when we try to push past the limits of our life rather than embrace the limits of our life and let God work in them and through them. See, Advent should be a season where we acknowledge the fact that we need a Savior. Where we acknowledge the fact that we need Jesus to show up. Where, where, where we actually take the time to remember that no matter how hard we worked this year, we still had some tough moments. No matter how good we were, Santa. No matter how good we were, things didn't all work out perfectly. It, it should always be a reminder not that we will never be strong, but that we will not always be strong in our own strength. One of the things Scott Erickson writes in the book, he says, could it be that the doorway to experiencing God with us in this season is the particular vulnerability we find ourselves facing? Whether it's in health, heart, or home, our lives will always have a particular vulnerability to them. From butt wiping to butt wiping. May we not see this vulnerability as the place of failure because of our inability to overcome it, but as the very invitation to partner with mighty God through it. See, a real connection with God requires vulnerability. A mom trusts that what's happening on the inside of her, that as she's eating the right things as best she can, as she's trying to stay emotionally, all the, all the things that go into it, the husband as well, and the, Father, all the, all, the, all the things that go into it. There is, a, there is a complete dependence on one another in that moment. To, to be completely vulnerable and go, I'm doing the best I can. I don't know how it all will work out. I don't know if, like Pastor Mary, you're going to wake up with carpal tunnel the last three months of your pregnancy. I, I don't, sorry, I, I didn't mean to speak that over you. Or, I, don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. And the child, of course, is just trying to live. Just trying to keep growing every day. Completely dependent on the mother. Real connection and even real creativity in our lives requires vulnerability. It requires us to be honest with where we are. See, I think the most creative people in the world are not people who ignore limits, but people who understand the limits. And if you don't understand the limits, you don't actually understand the line you should cross. Everything's an option. The most creative people I've seen are the people who can take... A few little things and go, yeah, I can do something with that. Of course, there's the grandiose moments. Of course, there's the over-the-top things. But for us to be, for us to really be used by God in the way he wants to, we have to be willing to just go, here's my few things. Here's my bread. Here's my fish. What can you do with it? Here's, this is what I have. 
And this is all I have. I'm going to try to convince myself I've got something else. Again, there can be a real easy thing here to go, yeah, you're right, I'm not much of anything, and I just, I'm, that's not what I'm telling you. In fact, let me read this verse to close. Psalm 139. In, all, in light of everything we've said today, in light of all the things we've talked about as we begin this Advent season, I want you to hear this verse and go, wait, how does that fit in vulnerability? How does that fit in weakness? How does that fit in this story? Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed, your eyes saw my unformed, not finished, not completed, not everything perfect, not everything done, not everything developed, not everything mature, not everything in season, not everything. Your eyes saw me unformed, unshaped, unfinished. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What does that mean? What does it mean to be vulnerable and have weaknesses and his strength be made perfect and yet I'm made so beautifully and wonderfully knit together in my mother's womb in the secret place in the depths of the earth. He saw me and he knew me and my days were ordained. What does it mean? It means that from the very beginning, from the jump, he was going to do it with you. It means that you were made perfect for his perfection. You were made just the way you are for the way he is. You were made exactly as you need to be because he can be the rest. Jesus is in your vulnerability all you will ever need. And in your weakness, you'll be strong. Why? Because he's going to put his strength with your weakness, your strengths. He's going to work it all together for the good of those who love him. And in this season of waiting, I heard this on a song on the way here. I might ask Donnie to play it. Not now. And it said, it said this, let our wait turn into wonder. And maybe for some of us, we've been going, man, I'm not sure if I can do this Advent waiting on the Lord and waiting with expectation. I need to get on to some things. I got to get some stuff done. I oh, man, I'm not sure about my weaknesses. I'm not sure about, this doesn't mean dwell on your weaknesses. Just acknowledge that you got them. Let your strengths be strong. And let his grace be sufficient. Let your weight, your worry, your weakness turn into wonder and strength and power because in your vulnerability, he is strong. This is a new season for you. This is a new moment for you. Do not try to escape a season of being honest about where you are. Fully embrace the moment so that you can become all that God has made you to be. Jesus was born just like the garden was planted. None of it yet developed. Everything God's given you, he's going to work with you and develop with you and walk with you and work it in you because everything he does is to you and through you. Some of you have held on so tightly 
because you have some weaknesses. I'm not sure God can do anything with this. Well, you won't know until you're honest about it. You won't know until you give it to him. And I, I, I'm just going to, out of this room today, there's going to be a number of you who fully embrace the weaknesses of your life. And God is going to do something in that that you never would have imagined. You're going to come to Advent next year, and you're going to go, I'm ready, I'm ready. Let's do that weakness thing again. Because God is going to work something in it that you would have never expected. Because God is so up to something. You are wonderfully made, and you've got some weaknesses. He has knit you together, and there's still things unfinished. And in every place you feel like there's nothing to do or unable to do, I can't possibly do, God is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. He is with you now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that I do not have to be ashamed of. I do not have to run away from. I do not need to hide the weaknesses of my life. Lord, I pray in this season of Advent, in our season of waiting and wonder, in our season of expectation, God, I pray that every one of us would be honest about how this year has gone. <laughs> would be open about how we're handling it. Because while you are my mighty God, you are also a wonderful counselor. And you hear me, and you incline your ear to me. And you're, you're just waiting for that moment when I would, as a child, look to you and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Your strength is made perfect in my needs and weaknesses, in my insufficiencies, in my insecurities. God, let not my ego or my pride get in the way of your power. Sometimes our insecurities are just a stand-in for our ego. They are our pride dressed up in disguise. And letting God be so intricately involved in who you are, who he has made you. That's the way he perfectly designed you. Just right now, before we go into worship, I just, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything. Because this is really a moment for you. Some of you right now just need to trust the Lord. Some of you for the first time ever need to say, God, I trust you. God, I give you my life. I, I, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this to you. I've tried. 2020, if anything, just, man, really nailed it to remind me that I, I can't do it all myself. Some of you just need to say it because there's an area or a place or a thing you're walking through. And you just need to trust Him with that particular vulnerability. Health, home, whatever. Made to fit with your perfection. To line up with your perfection.
God, you want to use me. So I trust you. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit what you should do in this moment. Just ask the Holy Spirit what he's speaking to you.